This all took place when I was 14 years old, camping in a little area of land in western Maryland where lots of my mom's family had little cabins. This was in the middle of nowhere on private property, and everyone in the mountain was related to us one way or another. We grew up spending the summers all around the campfire, telling scary stories and running around with all of my cousins. Quick explanation of layout. Imagine a large capital T for a road, and above that T, by 150 feet, ran a savage river. If you went left on the T, it would take you past multiple family houses, but also dense forests that cut off the road. And if you went all the way right of the T, it was my mom's tiny cabin, which is where we stayed. I often went off on my own, preferring it that way. I was about to do just that when my aunt had asked to tag along with me. She's 14 years older than I am, and she's still quite a big kid. She had pink hair at the time, was covered in tattoos, and was almost 6 feet tall. So, not an easily intimidated woman. So, I decided that we'd go all the way to the left into the dense forest, and she seemed to be fine with that. Admitting that she'd come with me so that she could smoke a joint, and to also keep out of eyesight of my disapproving grandmother. Now, I was a pretty good kid, and even though she offered me a hit, the thought of drugs still really scared me. So I declined. From the end of the road was a super rough dirt path that led into the woods, with the river still running 150 feet above the path. If you were to walk towards the river, it goes down a downward slope. A few miles in, you'll actually come across one of those legendary random staircases that led to absolutely nowhere. On this particular day, I had taken the dirt path and had walked down the 150 feet along the river, watching the fish in the crawl dead scurry as my aunt got high as a kite, just a little bit behind me. I was kind of in my own little world when I suddenly heard a click noise that brought me right back to reality. I looked around and I was kind of confused. Then my eyes landed on some man that I've never seen before, standing across the river from me no more than 15 feet from me. He must have just walked out of the woods on the other side of the river or something. It's summer, but he's in a black jacket, raggedy jeans, and he's holding one of those old cheap non-digital yellow cameras that would roll the top, and then it would click to be able to take another picture. I was pretty stunned because I'd really never seen anyone other than my family anywhere around the area in all the years that I'd been going up there. The man then smiled at me, then slightly lowered his camera. He was older, probably 40s, and very scruffy. He was also tall and kind of thin. He takes a step forward and I in turn take a step back. He scrolls the top of the camera and then points it directly at me yet again. I'm literally at a loss of words and all I can manage to do is take another step back, almost slipping on a rock as I do. That's when my aunt stumbles through the trees and is mid-sentence about how much she missed being high when she then stopped and stared at the man. I started staring at my aunt at this point, frozen like a deer in headlights. I slowly turn and he's not looking at my aunt, he's still just staring right at me. He clicks the camera yet again right at us. The man then does something else that makes my blood run cold and turns the situation from weird to terrifying. The man then does that tut 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 thing with his finger and points to what looks like a knife that's sheathed and strapped to his hip and then points to a finger that he slices across his throat. That's the moment where I went into autopilot. I spun around and began barreling through the trees, grabbing onto my aunt in the process. My heart began pounding as I ran, though I could have sworn I heard one more click right before hearing the splashing from behind me. 
I almost collapsed because my legs felt like jelly. The river is really deep in certain parts, but where I had been, we were at a point where the water would have only been thigh deep to a grown man. I tore upwards and ran blindly, like a rabbit from a fox. When we finally saw the stairs, my aunt quickly yanked me to the other side and then slid down beside me as we caught our breath. I was wheezing so loud that I actually had to cover my mouth to try and muffle the sound. I peer around but the trees are so dense that I can't see the river from the stairs. But even with my hammering heartbeat, I can hear the snapping of branches, almost like someone barreling through the forest. Now I'm terrified. It's not an easy straight trail back into my family's property. You kinda have to weave around and in certain spots it really dips and gets rocky, so you have to do like an S shape to get through. There's lots of random rocks just about everywhere, and it would be really easy to twist an ankle or smack into a tree in my panic. Not to mention, we always tread carefully and look where we're going because there's also so many snakes in that area as well. I'm now sobbing and wheezing very badly, and we still had another few miles until we'd even hit the first part of my family's property. Along with my roaring heartbeat, I begin to hear a really cheery tune. The man's whistling, and it's getting closer. My mind is racing, but I know we can't stay. Neither one of us had any type of weapon, and staying there was making it harder for me to convince myself to run as paralyzing terror then crept in. My legs and arms are already cut up, and before I can decide what to do, my aunt pulls me towards the T-Road desperately, just stumbling and running. I don't make it more than another mile before I misstep and trip over a branch, tripping and smacking headfirst right into a tree. I crumble over and taste blood. I had apparently bit through my lip in the fall. I'm pretty damn dazed, but my adrenaline is still pumping, so I scramble to a tree as my aunt turns and notices that I'm not right behind her. She scrambles back and then drops to her knees in front of me, then whispering. She keeps repeating to me that we need to keep going. I'm shaking so bad though that I don't think I can walk, much less run. I have probably another mile and a half until I'm on my family's property but another two until we're at an occupied cabin, my grandmother's. My ears are ringing and I'm hardly paying attention to my aunt's frantic pleas. I completely sign myself out again and keep looking behind me, but I don't see anything. She decides that she's not going to waste any more time because of stupid me and half drags me up and forward. I hobble forward as quick as I can as she continues to pull me really quickly. The rest is pretty much a blur until we break through the woods. Most of my family wasn't there at the time, so we only stop when we make it to my grandmother's, and I just run in absolutely sobbing at this point. No one locks their doors around there, and my grandmother takes one horrified look at both me and my aunt, who's also equally cut up and scared looking, and yells for my grandfather, who promptly takes over and grabs his rifle. I couldn't put into sentences what had just happened, so my aunt takes over, leaving out the part about her being high as a kite. My grandfather and grandmother go cabin to cabin, gathering the men and their guns, as well as warning the women and children about what just occurred. There's no signal up there, so calling the sheriff wasn't really an option, and to get up to the mountain if they left immediately, that would take over an hour to get there. It's also getting dark now. The roads leading up to the property are so windy and steep, you'd have to be out of your mind to try and drive up them in the dark anyway. My mother eventually got word and came over. She took one look at my aunt and said that I had probably just gotten high with her, which in turn made us overly paranoid, and that when we saw the random fisherman who was trespassing, we jumped to conclusions and had probably startled him just as much as he startled us. 
She continued by saying that I probably just imagined that he was taking my picture or chasing us, though my aunt had been the one to repeatedly retell the story. My aunt stood up and yelled at my mother, saying that I was a good kid and didn't do anything, and that we really were telling the truth. They began screaming at each other until my grandmother made them stop, telling the both of them to grow up. Even with the men of my family scouring the woods, they never did see any sign of the man that we encountered in the woods. For the first time in a really long time though, everyone in the mountain locked their doors that night. And to this day, all I can wonder is if I'm really part of some creepy picture collection. But considering what all could have happened, I think I can live with that. I am 19 now, but this happened when I was 12. It was the beginning of summer and me and my three friends, who I would name Gerald, Bethany, and Daniel, wanted to go camping. For the context of the story, I'm a male. When all of our parents agreed to let us go camping, we had to choose whose backyard we wanted to camp on. Like I said, we were 12, so there was no way we were going to go to a campground by ourselves. Bethany's backyard was chosen because there was a small forest behind her house that we would always explore. When we got there, we went into the forest and put up our tents. The next few hours are something I cannot really remember. I don't really know why. The next thing I honestly remember is me and Daniel wanting to prank Bethany and Gerald. So, we hid behind their two tents hoping that they would not see us. It was dark now and Bethany and Gerald were both asleep. Their tents were so far apart that I could not see Daniel. I was about to walk over to Daniel to make sure he was alright because he was being very quiet. For more context, Daniel is a theater geek, so he usually is very loud and very proud. Just as I was about to go talk to him, I heard a twig snap from behind me. Turning around, I saw a figure in the distance. Thinking it was Daniel, I whispered, Daniel, what are you doing? My blood turned cold as Daniel answered me. I was walking over to you. Why? However, I did not turn around as my eyes were locked on the figure. I did not know who it was, but it was human. Soon, Daniel saw the figure too. We were just crouching there for a moment watching it. Then, the scariest noise I have ever heard came from this figure. It was a mix of a scream and a laugh. I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about it. After the figure shouted, it turned around and ran away. Bethany and Gerald got out of their tent and asked us what the hell was going on. I and Daniel told them to quietly get up and make a run for Bethany's back door as we were not that far away. For a few seconds they questioned us, but after we heard the noise again we all sprinted as fast as we could. The rest is a blur, but all we know is that that person was never caught and we never camped out there again. Gerald has now moved to Michigan and Daniel is now in Arizona. I and Bethany are still in touch and never talk about what happened. I just wish I knew who or what that figure was and how they made that god-awful noise. This is a true, horrifying story that happened to my mom and dad somewhere in the early to mid-90s. I do not know why they did not tell me this story earlier. I'm a huge fan of true scary stories. I guess they just thought I was too young and maybe it would scare me seeing as how close to home it happened. Anyway, back to the story. First a little background. 
My whole family has gone to the youth movement. My grandmother went, my granddaunt went, and her three children went. So naturally, my mom and her younger sister did too. Both my parents became leaders, and that is how they met each other and started dating in the late 80s. After they left the youth movement, they still went to the summer camp to cook and be as they called it, adult leaders. Their job essentially was to help the leaders, who were in their late teens or early 20s. In certain unforeseen situations, for example, if a child got injured or sick or had to go to a doctor. My mom and dad were adult leaders, and my aunt was a normal leader when this story took place. It was during one of the summer camps. There was one other adult leader with my parents at the time. We will call him Keith. My aunt gets really scared, so she did not feel extremely comfortable sleeping in a tent. Because of this, she would go to my parents and Keith almost every night, saying that she heard noises that sounded like footsteps around the tents. Keith was a big, scary-looking guy, although he was not actually scary at all, so he would offer to go with her to look around and to see if anything was there. He always put on his big boots for this so he could catch any possible intruder. He did this every time, again and again. But every time they did this, there would never be anyone around the tents. One night, the same thing happened again. My aunt came to my mom and dad and Keith, saying that she was certain that she had heard footsteps around her tent. Keith stood up once again and told her he would look around for her. He did not think, however, that there would be something or someone there, seeing as there was never anyone there before. Because of this, he did not put on his boots this time, but rather put on his slippers, which would turn out to be a big mistake. Not long after Keith had left, my parents heard him shouting and then people running across the camping place. They went out and saw Keith running after someone. Turns out someone really had been out there that night. Keith followed the intruder for a while, but because he was in his slippers, he could not run fast enough to catch them. There were woods right behind the place where the summer camp had been held at, so the person went into those woods and that's where Keith lost them. Thankfully, no harm had been done to my parents, Keith, the leaders, or the children. I believe they called the police afterward, but they never discovered who was around those tents that night and what they were doing there. The story does get scarier though. A few months after they returned from the summer camp, there was an article in the newspaper about someone who had been terrorizing and assaulting girls and women in the same area the summer camp took place in. As I said, my parents still do not know who that person was, but there is a big possibility that it's the very same man that had been attacking all those other people. It's scary to think about how close my parents and those children were to something so horrible happening to them, and I'm so glad they all got out safe. But what is even scarier is the fact that if only my aunt had not been the girl who cried wolf, and if only Keith had put on his boots that night, they might have captured him and possibly save some girls from that terrible fate. To understand my story, you sort of have to know a tiny bit about trespassing laws in our country, and that we don't really have any so long as you're respectful and non-destructive. You can walk over any hills you like, and in my case, camp on any beach of your choosing, so long as once you leave the area is just how you found it. I used to really love camping when I was little. Our family would go multiple times a year with a large group of my parents' friends and their kids as well. On average, there were maybe about 10 of us at a time. 
which was a bit of a logistical challenge since we always headed out to this one really remote beach on the coast. Actually, we weren't the only ones. There's always yachts bobbing just off the shore, with people in them and other campers lining up and down the beach. Most of them had children or teenagers, so it wasn't really a wild party scene. It was very much an informal family holiday spot. There was even a small building with toilets and showers that were installed nearby, even though this was the middle of nowhere. I guess the local council must have figured it out and got sick of people peeing behind the bushes. We had took a trip up in spring 2011. I'm really bad with time, but I really only know this because I got my dog in winter 2010 after picking her out that November from the shelter as a birthday gift to myself. I know you guys love dogs, and she'll be very important to the story later on, so let me tell you a little bit about Parmesan. Parmesan came to me as a six-month-old puppy who had actually been rescued from a dog-fighting situation. We're not entirely sure what breed she is exactly, but my best guess is Lurcher and Staffy Mix. She's a wonderfully well-tempered dog with most people and dogs, but you absolutely do not threaten her. She'll have you. So, by the time of this camping trip, I think I'd had Parmesan for a few months. She had never come camping with us before, but as far as my family were concerned, dogs can go on camping trips. So, when we all piled into the car, she came too. Unusually though, none of the family friends could make it this time. So, this time it was only me, my sister, my dad, and my mom. I didn't really mind though. I wasn't that attached to the other kids. I'd rather play with my dog, and I mean, I'd still have my sister. The drive took the best part of six hours, and because we left a bit later, we arrived at sunset. Not a good time to be building a tent, but we expected to arrive to the other campers already set up, as well as the beach being illuminated in campfires. But that wasn't the case. The beach was empty. Despite this, my parents started taking stuff out and trying to build the tent. They asked us to fetch some of the lighter bags from the boot of the car while they sat pointing a flashlight at the sand to see properly. I rolled down the window of the car for Parmesan before getting out. It was pretty hot out for that time of the year and I wanted her to have some air. As we're fumbling about in the dark on a beach in the middle of nowhere, it's pretty spooky. The one road that led to this beach was circular and had a bridge over the water, meaning you could basically circle around the beach like a big O shape if you felt like it. I wasn't really paying any attention to the road. After maybe about 15 minutes of my dad trying to nail the tent into the sand, my mom then asks him, Have you been seeing that car drive around? I think it's been a few times now. My dad kind of just shrugged her off. He's sort of just like that. I don't really know if he had said anything back to her, but after a few more minutes, a car then pulled up right next to ours on the road, and someone got out. It was maybe about 15 or 20 feet from the cars to where we were, and the light was pretty low, except for the torches. We weren't expecting to see anyone else out here at this point, and I think I heard my mom say that it must be security. I really don't know why a random beach would have security, though. I think what she meant was the Wildlife Trust or something, as they do occasionally come down there to look around. The guy was now walking pretty unevenly. He must have been drunk or high because he had that stagger to him. There was absolutely no way this guy was sober. Cool. A junkie. Not an unusual find, but it's pretty rare to see them in the wild. As he walked into the range of the flashlight, we realized he was carrying a really large knife. 
maybe about 15 inches. Although I was really small at the time, so maybe my sense of scale was off. I gotta give my dad some credit on this one, because once he saw this, he got up immediately. Now holding on to the camping mallet, he puts us behind him. The man began to shout at us wildly that we can't camp here and that he was just letting us know. My dad tried to initially be a bit low-key with the guy and told him that it was fine and that we'd leave, but this didn't work for the guy. He kept coming closer to us, so my dad started shouting at him, with the man shouting back. My sister and I were crying. I remember shaking. I was utterly terrified, as I'm sure anyone would be in that situation. It really did seem like this guy and my dad were going to fight, and I'm going to be honest, I didn't really fancy my dad's chances. While it's grim to consider, I'm absolutely convinced that he would have killed my dad and possibly us as well once he was done, as I just don't think my mother would have the common sense to run with us. I really love my mom, but she's always put a relationship with my dad above us. This isn't how it went down, though. A bolt from the back, like a wolf descending on its prey, took us all by surprise. Most of all, the man with the knife. Right in that exact moment, Parmesan was the apex predator. She got him good by the arm and clamped down hard, ripping his jacket and shredding the skin underneath. The man dropped his knife as it had been in the arm that she got him by. He kicked her and punched her, and he eventually got her off. He grabbed the knife from the sand, ran back to his car, and then drove off. Parmesan didn't follow him. She stayed with us, muzzle covered in blood. As quickly as we could, we gathered up all our things and all got back in the car, all pretty shook up by the incident. I looked Parmy over. She was okay, but the car's window was much more open than I'd left it. We think what happened was when the shouting had started, she must have put her paws up on the gap that I'd left for her. As it was an old car and it had the roll-down windows and not an electric button, we think that she must have been able to hit it with her paws to force it down, which was enough to squeeze out. This isn't the end of my story, though. We were all pretty scared, and since we had the dog with us, we weren't able to book a hotel for the night. My parents then decided just to drive home so we could all feel safe, but first had to drive into the nearest town for gas, as they were kind of low. I spent that time trying to clean up Parmesan a little, I'd always loved dogs, but what she had done for me just really blew my mind. As we drove into town, we then came across a gas station, but it looked closed. My dad drove up closer to get a better look, and then stuck his head out the window to try and get a better look at the sign. My mom then asked him what on earth he was doing, and he told her he was just trying to see when it opens. Never. My heart fucking sank. Parked in the corner right behind a van so we hadn't seen him at first, was the man with the knife. He was sitting on the hood of his car using some kind of tissue paper to clean up his arm. It looked pretty bad. Without stopping to refuel or look anywhere else in town, my dad drove right the hell out of there. He decided to go to the next town over, but this wouldn't work either. The next town over was 60 miles away, and he didn't have that much gas left. We were going to break down. My dad said it was fine though because we had double A cover. They come to us home, or at least somewhere acceptable for the night. Better than staying in the last town. After driving for maybe another five minutes, lights then flashes from behind. It's another car. The same car the man had been driving. It was him yet again, and he was now following us. 
he must have realized that we were low on gas. The next half hour was one of the worst half hours of my life. I had a complete and utter breakdown, as did everyone else. I could tell that both of my parents were trying to keep it under wraps so it wouldn't upset us, but we weren't little kids. We were both double digits and we knew just how dangerous the situation was. My dad turned off the AC to conserve the gas and the man followed us for 55 miles before he finally pulled away into another road. Our fuel meter was on the big red E for empty and for the last 10 miles we were driving on fumes at this point. I don't really believe in God, but if he does exist, that was definitely one of his miracles. Once we got there, we drove into a gas station and then refueled to a full tank before then driving the rest of the way home. My sister and I slept in the car after that. I only woke up once we made it all the way home. Just really grateful nothing else bad happened. After getting some rest, my mom then phoned the non-emergency line for the police and reported what had happened. They never got back to her after that, but apparently the woman she spoke to said that they may wish to in the future, as the man apparently matched the description of a given suspect wanted in relation to a murder charge. No idea if he actually was that guy or just a random psycho. As I said, they never got back to her. So what's the takeaway then? Other than a crazy man on the beach, it's that I love Parmesan. She's still with us now, old as the hills and twice as grizzled. I don't know why she did what she did that day. I couldn't really tell you what her thought process was. What I will say, however, is if you're able to adopt, please do. You might find yourself in a situation just like mine one day. I promise you if you're willing to save a four-legged friend's life, they'll pay you back tenfold if they're able to, and without a single thought for their own safety. I paid $110 for Parmesan's adoption fee, which is a lot when you're a kid. But it chills me to my bones knowing that if I hadn't been so instant on getting a dog, I might be dead. Hey there. My story is 100% true, and it's something that happened to me and an ex-girlfriend about five years ago. We had been seeing each other for about six months when we decided we would go away for an off-the-grid weekend in my camper van at Exmoor National Park, UK. Off the grid meaning no phones, no laptops, or any tech of any sort. Just the two of us. We didn't live in the area and it was about a four hour drive from my house in London. We had both worked on that Friday and we had arrived home at around 4pm. Having packed the previous night, we then showered, changed, and set off. After escaping rush hour London, we didn't arrive until about 10pm. Now, this wasn't really ideal, as we would now be finding a suitable location to park up for the night in the dark. Given that neither of us knew the area or had ever been there before, it would present some difficulties. We arrived at a place called Porlock. We stopped here for fish and chips, and we had spent some time speaking to the locals, and we actually found out that the way up onto the moor was a giant hill. Aptly named Porlock Hill, the hill twists and turns and is seemingly endless especially when you're driving a heavy old VW camper as I was. As we reached maybe halfway up, we then see a man standing by his car and waving his hands. I remembered him as one of the locals who had given us advice as to where to stay. We decided to stop and ask if he needed assistance, much to my girlfriend's displeasure. He told me that his car had completely broken down. I offered to look it over as I had always had the tools in the van, 
but he was very dismissive and he told me that he didn't live far and he asked that we take him a little way up the road and then he would walk most of it. He said that we could drop him off right next to a beautiful parking spot that we could stay in overnight for free. Given that by this time it was late, we were both very tired and had no cash on us, so I decided it was best we stay there. Again, much to my girlfriend's displeasure. We dropped him off at the car park and we watched him walk off across the field on the other side of the road. My girlfriend, having always lived in the city, making her very untrusting and having found the man a little creepy, then watched him until he completely disappeared into the night. My girlfriend was very annoyed and felt very unsettled and then insisted we move somewhere else, somewhere where nobody knew where we were. It caused a bit of a disagreement and eventually I managed to convince her to stay there for the night and that we would then move first thing in the morning. After some time had passed, we had set up the bed and settled down for the night. The bed I had made myself folded down from behind the front seats and looked towards the rear of the van. We pulled the curtains around the front, then got into bed. The rear of the van didn't have any curtains. The windows were very slightly tinted, but I had never gotten around to hanging permanent curtains. We're now laying in bed having a bit of a cuddle, and I get this weird feeling of being watched. I look over my girlfriend's shoulder, and there is the man looking right in through the rear windows, hands pressed against the glass, peering in right at us. I immediately jump, and as soon as he sees me move, he starts trying the door handles. The backs are never open, though. I remember locking the side door, but it is an old camper. There's no central locking. He tries the side door, which is also locked. Then I hear him grapple with the passenger side door as I then pull the curtains concealing the front. It's locked. We make very brief eye contact as he then shoots around to the driver's side. I launch myself over the seats as he opens the door. I grab the handle and we struggle a few seconds. He's getting the better of me and he managed to get the door completely open. Right behind my seat is a tire iron. I begin to reach back with my legs facing him, trying to stop him from entering the van. I manage to grab the tire iron, then spring forward. He sees that I now have a weapon, and he starts to run. I make it about 15 steps behind him before it occurs to me that my girlfriend is still in the van. I turn back and go back to the van. I get back in the van. My girlfriend, who's an exceptionally strong, brave, and incredible woman, is tucked up in a ball, completely traumatized, crying hysterically, and absolutely begging me to leave. I immediately start the van and begin to drive out of the car park. I turn to go left back towards the nearest town, Porlock. The road is a small windy road and it can barely even fit two cars on it. As I go to pull out, a car in the direction I am heading for stops bang in the middle of the road, full beams on, blocking the entire road. My girlfriend screams at me to go the other way. As I said before, my van's really old and it's a little slow. As soon as we turn on the road, the car shoots up right behind us. It's so close that we're almost touching bumpers. He follows us for the next hour and a half through all of the wind lanes, no houses, and no other vehicles. We have no phone and no way of contacting the outside world. Eventually we reach a small town and the car turns away from us. We continue to drive for probably another hour before then finding a 24-hour garage. We go inside and we call the police. The police search the entire area where the attack happened, take our statements, and escort us to a hotel. The guy was never found. The other locals we spoke to said they didn't know who he was and that he wasn't from Porlock.
Some weeks later, we were contacted by the police regarding another incident in that same car park. However, this time the man had found a young family. Fortunately, on this occasion, all of the doors were locked and they actually had a dog with them, which alerted them to his presence. They phoned the police and the man ran away. He was eventually apprehended a month later when an undercover police car was placed there. It turns out that the man had been released from a psychiatric prison three days before we had met him, disappeared from his halfway house, and had been sleeping in his car on the reserve. My girlfriend and I had broken up at this point due to all the stress from the situation, and this is the first time I've told anyone apart from my immediate family about that night. It truly was horrifying. 